Hello, what's going on? Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I'm your host today. Super special guest, Meg Jacoby drops on. Meg and I, we've been working together in the coach-athlete, like peer-to-peer kind of relationship for a while now. And we take the opportunity to jump on here and kind of talk about our general philosophies. In this episode, we talk about the first four stations of High Rocks and really how to train for it, how to prepare for it uh, for a race and kind of how to attack it. And we're going to do a, a, a continuous series of these, uh, just dropping our, our thoughts on some different styles of training for High Rocks in particular. Also, the main purpose to let you guys know of this new program that Meg Jacoby and I have collaborated on. There's a 12-week and a 16-week. takes a lot of Meg's training methodologies that she's developed over years. Even though she's just started in the high rocks world, she's been training at a very, very high level for a long time and just happened to be preparing for this event, even though she didn't really know about it. So talk a lot about that, how that's going to fit into the program and how our methodologies kind of combined to create this program. And we do a lot of content in this episode giving you an idea of what you can expect from that. So you can take a look at that at the show notes or in our Instagram bios if you are interested in those programs. Again, there's a 12-week program and a 16-week advanced program. We talk about the differences a little bit during this podcast. So let's just get into it. Meg Jacoby. Okay. Meg Jacoby's here, fresh off a workout, because what else would she be doing? (laughs) Seriously. What's that? What would you just throw down that... uh, what was it? Four by three by 12 minute AMRAP. So that I did last night. Okay. And if anyone sees that post screenshot it, cause that was an awesome workout, <sighs> like pat on the back nice job. on that. But no, like I really, I really loved it. My friends really loved it. Um, so the 12 minutes is like exactly enough to get like pretty smoked. And then you'd be like done and you'd have a couple minutes break for like the next one. So yeah, we really, everyone really liked that, but I just did a 60 minute AMRAP high rocks with 800 meter runs. Just station um, work in between. Yep, exactly. It's the old so, faithful. It's a good one. It is. That's, that's been like the trusty go-to style workout for me. So, you know, so, when stuff works, you don't change it. Yeah. And that's the thing with, with this event, it seems like there could be many ways to train for it, but a lot of times getting overly complicated, I don't think meets the mark, especially when we're talking about 60 minute time frames. There's only so much time that we have and efforts to give that. So if right. something that works, it's like stay in that. So what is that? What did that look like today? So started with a thousand meter ski at like race pace. So n- not like crazy hard effort but enough to make you know the first run after like okay you know like all right here we go um and then 50 meter sled push heavier than high rocks weight 50 meter and then you know 800 run 50 meter sled pull and then um the last station i threw in was burpee broad jumps because it's been a minute i feel like i haven't done those quite as much this the last couple weeks so wanted to get those in there those are just like the worst to do in training they are so funnily i did that um megatron threshold 50 meter burpee broad jumps yep. four minute threshold 40 meter which we put out in the like preview for our training program together i did that wednesday and like forgot how bad that one was 
in a good way, but you know, like that's spicy. So that's, that's one that you designed that I really like because it seems it's definitely a lot like 50 burpee broad jumps in one shot is more than what we'll you'd be doing at race. And the, the total number, uh, and it's 150 total burpee broad jumps throughout the whole workout, Yeah, which is a lot, but the descending ladder of it keeps, keeps you mentally in that. And I think in, in the program, actually we, 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 um, progress that up to make it like kind of worse each week where it's, I think it ended by three by five minute and 50 burpee broad jumps per. So that would be nasty. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I tried to like cut the interval pace down, like significantly too. each time you're like taking a minute off. And by the end, you're like, you're just sprinting full on sprinting and then trying to do 10, 20 burpee broad jumps mm. after this. That's what, disaster. that's one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. And athletes like we're fairly similar athletes when it comes to our background for high rocks, just endurance athletes kind of turn strength, your strength in in comparison to your competitors is probably a bit higher than what mine would be, but even like body composition wise or body size wise, in terms of like where we kind of like where we kind of stack up against everybody. Yeah. Pretty similar. Yeah. It's like, we're not the biggest, not like the smallest brain, brain in the middle. And the running piece is important for us. You know? Yeah. So that's something I've been trying to think about. Like, what what's the like? H- how fast can we get, and how to put that into place? Because with a Hyrox event, it always seems to me anyway that I'm like managing it so much that it's never fully all the way to where it could possibly be. Um, in your past couple of races, uh, in Chicago at least, it seemed like you really were able to kind of push hard on the runs. Yeah. How'd you feel like that affected your station work? So that's a really, that's interesting because I feel like, so my time was, was my time faster than when I got the record? Was that my fastest time? Um, No, it wasn't. I think everybody was a little bit slower. I think you were 60, 62-ish. So I, I always feel like, you're sacrificing a little. I felt like I sacrificed a little on some of the stations running as fast as I did. I think probably on the sleds a little bit. Um, you know, really the row definitely. Cause mm-hmm. I think, I think across the board, the women were somewhat in agreement that like we all rode terribly in comparison to like how we normally row or we normal and pra- row in practice. Um, like I know Alondra said that, I think Lauren said that. And I feel like, I mean, Alondra was just in the indoor rowing championship. So she's obviously she's pretty nasty on rower. the rower. Yeah. yeah. So, and I felt like I've gotten a lot better at it in practice and that I just felt awful on it in Chicago. And I, I do think it's because we push the runs a lot harder. Um, so you're, you're giving, a, it's, it's that like give and take, you know, where, you can't let the field separate from you a ton because you just might not have time to get it back. So that's kind of how I was approaching it with the running. Um, And I feel like I manage it enough where I'm not sacrificing a ton on the stations, but like there've been times where my stations were much faster. Like I feel like when I had, when the Chicago, I got the record in, I feel like my stations were definitely faster then, but my runs were not as fast. So it's, it's like, 
you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're trying to figure out what the best strategy is for you. But at the same time, when it's a championship and everybody's there, like I said, you can't, you can't like fade too far back and hope that your strategy works either, you know? Right. And and in that rogue example, like Lauren obviously goes out hot and your strategy that day was to just maintain contact. Alondra really hit the sleds really hard. So I'm sure by that point, I mean, she had a great race overall, but by that, I'm sure by that time when she got to that rower, you know, her superpower was taken away from her a little bit because of how much she pushed harder. But Michaela actually did row really well. And that's really kind of where she kind of yeah. closed that gap. Exactly. Um, so but like, yeah, but the strategy around the race, it seems like you don't know it and it's hard to get there during training to figure out how to put like your best effort on that day. And yeah. like, obviously you're going to push as hard as you can, but then you see, yeah, like the um, row or something that is, that is typically a safe place for you. Your strong rower ends up being like, Oh no, this is yeah. not really where I thought I'd be here. Yeah. Just like going in with super taxed legs from running like 550 to six flat pace is like, it's, oh, it's just a game changer, you know? Yeah. And it can hit in the row. Actually, I, I feel like it can, it, it's kicking me costly. If I push yeah. into it a little bit, that run after I'm like, Oh, that actually took quite a bit yeah. more out of me than I, I, I was hoping it would. Yeah. And I think like Michaela was like, I could feel her coming. And like, I could see, I could see Lauren cause she and I were directly side by side. And then I think it was Alondra and then Michaela. So, or, or something of that effect. I, I don't remember if I could see her like row splits from mm -hmm. like my rower, but I could like, I mean, and everyone's calling out like, okay, Meg's got 400 to go. Lauren's got, you know, 390 to go. And we were all like, right there together and i could like feel her coming on where it was like she and i were pretty much neck and neck but i got there first so i knew she was you know pushing really hard on that and then thankfully for me i think i i came off and ran well enough to where i didn't lose anything um and then mm. for me as you know just with working together like my best stations are the last three stations mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I feel like I'm really strong on lunges. I think I've had the best or been in the top two times for lunges the last couple of races. Uh, obviously, wall balls are a strength, so I'm not really losing to anybody there per se. It's just it's managing those last couple runs that gets real hard. A lot of the runs were spent by that point, like yeah. the first two or three, and like you actually had to come. It may have been the row where you had to kind of catch back up to the group to to connect again so it yeah. seemed like every time like the run had to be pressed all the way through and like that's only so manageable and that's something we're trying to figure out on the run side of things like how much running like how to mix it in with everybody with all the rest of the stuff and how fast can it be you know yeah. like the like the example of the work i did today it's like the, the runs are manageable right you can do it it's yeah. more about the, the volume of it which is also critical in these races but at a point i think it's like okay like can you run each run to like your best of your ability uh i think that's ultimately where we need to be for worlds yeah right? like everything needs to be like kind of cranked up and just knowing that maybe you're going to give a, a little bit back toward the end at again maybe the row maybe farmers whatever it is 
But if that but if that run can be dialed in and better than everybody else's and, and to the level of what you're capable of, that's what we need to figure out. And, yeah. and I think I think we're on that track. But so yeah. let's go. Let's go through some of the stations. Um, you know, we've waited to kind of put this pod to, podcast together because we've been working together for some months now and, and just getting to know each other really well. And and, and we put together some some different methodologies around the methods that you have learned over the past decade plus of training that you've done outside of just high rocks. And then with what I've been, uh, what I've been learning and what I've been kind of putting together for myself and the athletes that I coach and kind of put together a program that really encapsulates how you've kind of got to this level of accomplishment in such a fast time. So I want to kind of just talk about some of the, the methods behind it and what your thoughts are on some different uh, areas of stations when it comes to, to high rocks in general. So one piece when you started the skier for you was not necessarily a place that you were like really dialed into when you began. Right. Yeah. So what's your thoughts around the skier? Like, what do you, what do you think about it when it comes to racing? Like how important do you think it is? Ultimately, I don't think it's really, really is that important. I think pretty much everyone is, 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 being smart when they come to the skier, nobody is hammering it like crazy. Um, I do love it for overall, like aerobic capacity building. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it's an amazing tool. Um, and it just works like your works every part of your body. So I do love doing it in practice. Um, but as far as like the race goes, and I, I feel like you guys are probably pretty similar on the men's side. Like no one's, you're not winning on the first station. So mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of approaching it, you know, pretty conservatively. I do think it is a, and even both machines, even at the row, I think there is a very small window of like, you could really tip over the edge and really hurt yourself if you're not smart about it. And, and really only gain like in, in, five, five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You kind of, you really have to kind of ride that line. So one yeah. thing that, that we've been doing is kind of finding where that line is in training essentially with threshold workouts on the skier, right? It's yep. like, where is it that is comfortable, but that is like also hard. And that, that can kind of translate over to the race. The, the European men, for some reason, hammer the ski, uh, I think, cause they don't have to respect the sleds as much as we do over here. So they can really front load their, their efforts. But I don't, I, I well, we haven't done a 2k in a minute. Right. Um, right. But when you're doing, when you're racing, where are you aim, where are you aiming for on that on that ski? Like 156 to 158, I think is yeah. ideal for the women. I think that's probably what like Lauren's doing. Um, I, I really think for the most part across the board, that's what most of the women are doing. Some might be just over that two minute threshold, like 158 to. 204 even maybe for some of the women but i i try to i definitely try to keep under two minutes um because i feel like i can recover quickly from that i'm not spent but Mm. but also like i'm staying in contact enough with everybody in the front too um yeah i mean that's about as fast as you're gonna need to go at least at this point of the of the of where we are in the racing um do you come off pumped at all you know, I used to not, and this is one of those things where when you start doing so much specific training, like 
when we first started working together, obviously my background was heavily into lifting for mm. quite some time. Obviously I was running as well, but not to the level that I am now. So it is one of those things where even though I am lifting a lot, obviously the lifting numbers have changed a bit just because it's not my sole focus at this point. So like I definitely come off a little more pumped than I used to maybe, Mm. but, um, I don't feel like it's once you get for me, once I get running for a couple of seconds, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. That's kind of thing. It's, it's, it's like annoying. Like what? Like, cause I, I get, I get pumped too. I think, I think where I'm coming up short is like, I should probably hammer like a 500 to 750 in warm up because it's the first station. Like, I think I'm going to start implementing that a little bit to see if I can kind of get that pump out of the way. Yeah. Warm up. Cause usually just kind of run and push a sled and, and get my legs prepped. I don't really get the upper body prepped as much because it's, uh, it just doesn't seem like it's as necessary, but maybe I'm just missing it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, I feel like I get faster on the skier as I go. Mm. So that's one of those things like right hot off the press. Like I'm not, I feel like it takes me like a little bit of time to like get into the flow. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm good. This is fine. This is easy. But right. Um, so you're thinking that because, and and the style of, of lifting that you did, uh, essentially is what's called a conjugate method, which was popularized by, uh, Louis Simmons in the West side barbell, which is a lot of it's powerlifting at its core. Yeah. A lot of the, the work that's done outside of like the major lifts, it's like accessory work, essentially hypertrophy work. Exactly. So it ends up being a lot more, uh, higher volume things like, I don't know, sh- uh, strict press and, and chest supported dumbbell rows where you're working in that area. That's essentially designed to get you that pump. Right. Right. So you think that pulling that back a little bit might not might, or you think that type of lifting helps with the feeling on the skier pump? I definitely do. Especially mm. because when I train conjugate too, like I do so much tricep work. And as you know, with that ski, like you're kind of like doing a tricep extension, like at the bottom. So like in a sense, depending on like how your form is, I mean, I feel like that's what I do, but also my triceps are strong. So that might just be like my natural instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with like the lat stuff. It's like Mm -hmm. a conjugate. I do tons of back, like tons of lower lats, tons of pull-ups, like tons of barbell rows, all that kind of stuff. So I definitely feel like when I was really my strongest, the ski just felt pretty easy because of the muscles used. Like that's where those are my strong areas. So that that actually makes sense. I, I know um, Ryan Kent does a bunch of uh, hypertrophy work as well. I think it's mostly because he wants to look good, but uh, <laughs> but I think it, but it definitely helps. Uh, like he does a lot of that type of stuff as well, and that's that's a bit of a hole that I had in my game. I took a I took on your strength training for quite some time just to, to see, to wrap my head around it. Like as again, as we were building this and the accessory work was a lot more voluminous than what I would, would have typically done, which was definitely a hole that I had. And I think when people think of powerlifting, they don't think of that. They don't think accessories. They think like just walking in a gym, you're doing a couple deadlifts and you're like done, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Right. Ultimately to get as strong or to, to be as strong as possible, you know, there's a couple different ways to do it, but the bigger the muscle is, the better, the the more strength you can put out 
you know, that that's a really easy way to improve your strength. So hypertrophy should be part of a good powerlifting program. And I think on the high rock side of things, it's something that we might veer away from, but, um, there's definitely a place for it. I agree, but you know, it's worked for me so far. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So in that program, there's definitely hypertrophy work to to do. And the tricep workout, when I was doing it, there was, there was one workout that was like, three by 1 million tricep pull downs or something yeah. like that. I was like, okay, this seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was got, got the, got the, got that tricep work in for sure. Yeah. Um, so the sled push is obviously a place where we put a lot of focus on just everybody puts focus on. It's not, and I've, I've kind of come around where I don't think it necessarily can win a race, but you can definitely lose a race on both ends. You can go too hard. Right. And if it's not something that you're comfortable with in terms of moving that weight, it could also put you way behind, right? You can right. over you can overextend yourself and not go fast, and then kind of bury yourself, which does happen. So, what are, what's your thoughts around sled push? I tend to agree with you. Obviously, it's station two. Like you're probably not good. You know, no one's winning on the second station per se. But I think being able to manage the running after is what's really important. Mm. Um, so that's really like, I, I do a lot of sled push and I, I think we've just kind of naturally done that together, but I think it's been more to learn how to manage running on heavy legs more Mm -hmm. than thing necessarily, not necessarily like let's get the sled push time, like crazy good. It's more just, you know, for, for the running aspect afterwards and same with even the sled pull, I think. I think the sled pull people can really have a rough time with. So I do think maybe because you're getting more towards that middle of the race on that station, it can be a little bit more important. Like you have to be efficient. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best, but you have to be able to do it efficiently, but really being able to manage the runs after those very heavy leg intensive stations, I think is what's ultimately more important. So, and that's trainable. Like the feeling right. that you have coming off of the sled push is something that feels terrible. Yeah. But the more and more you can kind of do it, the more, you know, it's like, okay, this is going to get better or it doesn't feel as bad as you, as you keep going. So I think you're right. I think the sled push, once you have a, like that baseline of strength to move the thing, it's more about managing that effort and then managing the run after. Yeah. So, so the compromise work is probably the best place for it. I, I agree. And I think everybody approaches the sled differently. When I first did my first high rocks, like I did all my lengths unbroken. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I I just didn't know any better at that point. And then I kind of like started realizing that that might not be the most effective way to do it. Like, but at the same time, I'm a really like gritty endurance person. So for me, a lot of the time I do just do them unbroken and maybe I look like I'm moving it slower, but ultimately I'm keeping up with the people next to me who might break it up a little bit more. You know what I mean? It's just, that's yeah. sort of like personal preference and like what your own strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but I have been getting to the point where I'm like, all right, maybe I should like stop for a second and then have a little more explosiveness after having like a couple second break. Yeah. Or whatever the case maybe. Yeah. You, you just know how to go hard. That's just what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was going hard. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but that's also like an, on the personal preference side of things. Like the training that you put in again is voluminous, right? Yeah. So 
for some, the, the pump and the leg kind of fatigue that would set in for you is probably going to be less than what it would be for others because of how much volume you put in with not just sled push, but just uh, volume squats, split squats, lunges or something that you, that you really kind of prioritize as well. So that all kind of wrapped together can allow you to be a little bit more aggressive, what would look aggressive, but also kind of keeping you in a controlled state where like, if I was to do that, if I was to push down back even twice unbroken, it would, it would be an issue. (laughs) It would be a full body fatigue issue, but probably also a leg kind of issue because my volume in that specific area isn't necessarily as high as what what yours is in with like your background. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is I don't know. I know we've talked about this, but I change the way I push the sled like every other time. So I go hooks. I go real close with the hands, like the shoulders right up to the bars. And I kind of alternate between the two methods because I do tend to feel like it's hitting a different area of your leg more heavily. You get a little bit of that break. Like one method, I feel like I'm using glutes way more or I'll even just like go lower and like have my like butt higher in the air. And at that point I'm using like more glutes. And then if I'm like extended out further, I'm using like more quad, more calves, like that kind of, so just kind of learning how to shift your body and, and like using body weight differently can also like make a big difference. And that, that again, that comes with the training and the experience of like how to kind of do it. Um, and if you can, if you can push it with, with your hands, on the the pipes and like your shoulders up next to it where that ends up being more quads and calves that you mentioned and being able to go like back and forth i think that's ideal that's probably the best way to do it uh but again it takes just time like knowing how to push it and how it's going to make you feel right for sure so the sled the sled pull i i agree with you i think it's also probably a bit more of an important station in terms of the race results just because like you can just will yourself to push the sled, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll probably, you, you might pay for it, but people struggle with the sled pull. Like if we, everybody lined up like fresh on a sled push, probably not one person is going to really outdo another so much, but on a pull, it could be like minutes different sometimes. Yeah. Like, um, did you watch, you watch the, uh, um, race in Houston, right. With Camilla yeah. and Chris. Yeah. And Camilla, Camilla's just so good at that pull. And Chris was just like, having a harder time. And that was essentially the race. And on the men's side at Chicago, it was a sled pull. That was essentially the entire race. Yeah. So what's your, so, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately and trying to change up some different stuff in training and racing and trying to figure out the best way to kind of go about that. So what are your, what are your general thoughts on the pull? Um, well, well, of course, I think, I think a lot of us probably did the, we were doing all the hand over hand method for the longest time until we realized like how heavy the sled was and that that's just like physically impossible with like the way the carpets are. Cause it's, it's crazy when you do it on a turf, like it moves, it slides. I can do five plates hand over hand pretty easily. And that's just not the case. So, um, not dropping the rope, managing the rope is really the most important thing, honestly. I mean, I think I try not to waste a ton of energy when the rope is at its longest because the sled is moving the least amount. So I'm moving quickly there rather Hmm. than trying to like make these massive gains. Hmm. Um, 
And then once it gets a little bit closer to you, I feel like then you can it, you can move it a lot more easily so you can get bigger, longer pulls. And that seems to like work really well for me. Um, but really just managing the rope, like not wasting time, dropping it, picking it back up, making sure it's out of your way. Like all those little things really can add up to a lot of time. Ultimately, like if you're kicking the rope out of your way the whole time, like you're just losing seconds every time. And it's at a point of the race where you're tired, right? Right. So any excuse to kind of rest where it's like kicking the rope, getting chalk, dropping the rope, walking up to the rope. It's, yeah. It's more of a sign of fatigue than actual strategy. Cause if you wanted to, to do your, or like walking in transitions, like the way to make up time there is running transitions, not dropping yeah. the rope. And I think working that full distance of, um, I don't even know what they call it, like the, that little zone, the zone, the, blo- the, the little sled block. Yeah, yeah. Sled box, because that's, you know, the more you can move within there. And that's an interesting thought that you had, like not trying to kill yourself or make it be like maximize that distance when it's the hardest to pull because right. it might take a little bit more energy and just kind of hustling on that front part. I like that idea. I think I might, might take, take that on, but ultimately like if you can cover that distance within yep the box each time, like that's probably going to be the best way to, to save time. I agree for sure. And I, I feel like I do that. Um, even when I'm, you know, when I, like how I said, it was like when the rope is fully extended, it's, I definitely am walking back the box, the entire length. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm not overexerting to like pull super, super hard just because it's not like, I'd rather save that a little bit for when it's closer and then like really pull it hard. And you're then when it's when gravity is working with you or whatever, you know, when what you I mean? can, use, yeah, you can use the yeah. momentum a little bit more. Yeah. Cause that's, that's another thing. Like when you think about like, yeah, ideally being able to pull it arm over arm because the sled would never stop would be the yeah. best, but the sled stops. Yeah. So I just also, have to manage that. I do see people doing it that way all the time in practice. And even if you're a strong enough, like say you're a guy and you're just some ripped dude and you can move the women's open weight hand over hand easily, like you're going to blow your forearms up. Yeah. Add that. I'm not sure it's even really worth it. So just like food for thought for anyone who kind of approaches it that way. I just don't know. If that's effective, even if you physically can do it, I don't know if that's really very effective. Yeah, I agree. Like I've had grip issues, you know, maybe it's not the immediate next station because it's burpees, but then row, uh, yeah. farmers. And even when I'm holding those sandbags, sometimes I get a little bit forearm like fatigue just because it's like a couple and like three out of four stations is grip intensive. Yeah. So it does matter to save it. Yeah, Definitely. One thing I've been thinking about with this in, in terms of training, right? Like the pulling the sled, obviously like that's probably a good way to do it. You do a lot of deadlifts, right? And yep. that, that opening of your hips, like uh, that is the pattern that we also do in the, the sled pull. So ideally you want to open your hips, probably extend, uh, extend your knees to, to use your quad to get that rope, uh, that sled moving. And so you can start walking it back, right? Instead of just like trying to walk it back with your hips closed, like if you open it, it's going to start moving and then you can start use that momentum to walk it backwards. But with a deadlift, so I, I love the deadlift as well. I think it's a great movement to build overall strength and to use for the opening of the hips. But a lot of the drive comes from the ground, you know, it's yep. still like, it's, it's like a leg press first 
and then it ends up being back unless you're screwing it up and you're doing way too much back to to start like you're ultimately limiting how much you're 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 moving but for high rocks we don't necessarily get that drive from the ground you don't necessarily get that leg push because the weight's way out in front of you Mm -hmm. so the hip opening seems to be much more important Mm -hmm. so i'm actually starting to play around with like uh, rack pulls and pin pulls have you ever done those in training i have like just the top part of the deadlift essentially because that that's where we like when i get stuck on a deadlift it's usually from the ground where where do you get stuck same i'm stuck on the ground yeah i like my knees i'm good if i can if i can get it to my knees that weights up like right top half quick i'm low half slow and that's something that a rack pull like so ultimately if you're just doing deadlifts over and over like you probably will be limited based off of how much you can get it off of the ground but if you're doing like a rack pull or pin pull or whatever i think they're i don't know why i'm saying both they're the same thing right (laughs) yeah they're they're the same um you could probably move even a little bit heavier weight with it i can move like 50 pounds more on a rack pull than i can on a regular deadlift interesting yeah and that's kind of the movement because you don't get that leg press because that weight's not directly underneath you. It's yeah. like way out in front of you. It's so it's like you don't need that drive down as much. Ultimately, for you to get as strong as possible and probably to move, it's probably helpful for the sled push and like lunges and stuff. But the for the pull, a full deadlift is like half helpful. Yeah, I like incorporating just backwards sled drags. So like you have mm. a handle in each hand. And if you really angle the hips to where you're like leaning back, that's literally exactly where it's hitting you when you're doing the sled pull. So I do those like loaded up super heavy a lot. Um, Again, you're not getting the rope practice when you do that, but you're getting like the quad, like the feel of how your quads are going to feel when you're doing like the walk back. Obviously it's not like what you're talking about where you're like, low to the ground and you're doing like that kind of hinge movement to like initially pull the weight and then stepping it back. But those are something that I've been incorporating a lot recently. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, that's how I was thinking of like breaking it apart was like rack pulls and sled drags backwards. And that's kind of like that helps the, the knee extension as well. Like that's, what's ultimately going to move it like leaning back and extending through your knees is what's going to get the, the sled moving. And I think that's part of the push where people can kind of get, or the pull, I'm sorry, where people can get stuck yep. because they're just not extending uh, through their knees and, and opening their hips all the way. Yeah, I agree. So I really like that. And that's, so those ways are ways to kind of overload, like where if you're doing heavy sled pulls, like your grip can ultimately be the limiter. I would imagine Like you could probably walk backwards way heavier than what you could do with like just with that rope. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So and you do them with the rope. Yeah. Like just do them with. So this, and this is a spot where body weight matters as well. Yeah. So again, how, how I kind of said, we're, we're not necessarily on the bigger end of things. And I think there have been, there's, there's clearly some thoughts like you have to be bigger in high rocks to do well, but I think if you can just be stronger and, and, and like really drill down these movement patterns should be fine. Yeah. I think though, too, I hate to be like size matters with running, but like, cause it doesn't, but a as, little bit, yeah, a little like 
you know, that's where that kind of can come into play as well. Obviously, it's like you still have to. I mean, it's very running intensive. So you kind of have to have that solid mix of both abilities. And that's where the balance that's where I think because we're so new in this sport, we haven't quite figured out where the balance needs to be between uh, the size of like the, the size of the person how it relates to the strength and how it affects the running. I don't think we know what the optimal body type is yet. I agree with you. Cause I feel like we're seeing a lot of variety among people. Mm-hmm. Now then it's like, I mean, you have Michaela who's like five eleven, and I don't know, super long and lean. Mm-hmm. I'm like kind of in the middle, you know, then you have like these really strong CrossFit body types that are just like powerhouse muscular you know like um kind of have that too so it's kind of kind of seeing a mix of everything it's funny on that women on the top three side it's like lauren small you're medium michaela's yeah. tall like and it's like and you're basically all finishing at the exact same time yeah i know right actually with the height that is pretty funny yeah the the dudes seem to be more on the everyone's kind of leaning toward the bigger side but i don't think the dudes can really run I don't yeah. think they're very good. I don't think they're very good runners. I think they're too it, like they're just like good at managing it. Mm-hmm. It it's it seems like that's kind of the key for the men, maybe. And Magita's a bit of the anomaly because he's big and he stayed fast. Yeah. And he's and so he has the pieces, right? And he's putting he's pu- starting to put it together in terms of the performance side of things. Like when he's right, his performance is as good as anybody's, and it should be, because he is the fastest big dude. Like he probably has 20 pounds on me. Wow. You know? So, but, and like, I'll run faster than him on like any running distance, right. but not that much. Yeah. But, but the other guys, like we wouldn't like any of the other guys, like Magida would dirt on like Kent, Kent may be the anomaly, but like Magida's going to beat everybody else on a road race, but he's kind of the one who's like big and fast. Yeah. All the rest of the dudes just kind of big and not fast. <laughs> uh, gotcha. So, yeah, the pull is also just where you're kind of going to have to manage things. So let's, um, how are you doing on time? Like 10 minutes? Yeah, I can. I let's, could... um, let's break this into two parts then. We'll do, we'll okay. just, we'll just do another one in a little bit. We'll do half and half. I like. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we talked about burpees a little bit as we started. Um, I don't know. I feel like just the way to do it is just doing more. It just kind of sucks. And you know, what's really interesting is I always did. I never did the step up method at first. I did regular burpee, jump up, jump, burpee, jump up, jump. Then in the last two championships, I did the step up method. I kind of started practicing that more. And then the other day I'm like, fuck that. I just, I feel slower doing it that way. I I'm not a super mobile person. So like doing the one leg at a time thing, it's just like kind of uncomfortable. Like mm. I got tight hips, you know, like I'm just, I know maybe I think the idea behind it is like conserving a little bit of energy. Um, mm-hmm. But then the other day I just did them like, like I always had in the past and like felt fine. And I'm just kind of like, you know, maybe I just go back to like what I know to be true for myself, you know? And I, I feel like 
the step up might be efficient for some people in managing or like they've gotten it down to where they're very fast at doing it that way. I feel like I inevitably am slower, even if I don't feel as tired. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just kind of a slower, maybe way to do it, at least for me. So I'm kind of just because I can crank out regular burpees like it's my job. You know, I do burpees constantly, like like almost daily, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of think I'm just going to go back to (laughs) the regular like two feet jump up, jump out thing. It's, I don't think there's a right way. And I think it got adopted to do the step up um, mostly because you can cheat it a little bit more. I think that's yeah. why it's faster. You can step in front a little bit and uh, you, the momentum kind of carries you forward. I think they're going to crack down on that. I, I think it's, <clears throat> were, were they on top of you at the, at Chicago? Oh yeah. Like I even, my judge even like, so when you bring your foot, like I bring my right foot up first, then my left foot comes up second. And I, I, I mean, it's touching, but it's like a quick touch and jump. Dude, my guy was all over. He's like, make sure that foot touches. My foot was never close to not touching. Like I'm, you're certainly not jumping off one foot. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not helping you in any way, shape or form. Is that against the rules? Apparently, apparently I, I don't even think it should be a rule because it's not helping you. You know, like jumping off one leg is not no, making jump. I, I don't <laughs> a single think so. leg broad jump is not going to be better than a two footed broad jump. But, no. but he was like, make sure that foot touches, make sure that foot touches. And I was like, whoa, like it's touching, calm down, you know? Um, and I mean, I know they were really like McGee even said they were like, Mo was like all up on him with it and like making sure that whatever he was doing, like the, the distance I think is the big thing. I think it's getting to the point and it has gotten to the point where there's been so much emphasis on the form that now people don't know what the right form is. And now Mm. it's like, you see comments in the live stream feed and people's form is actually totally fine. It's just, they look different doing it than ever. Like other, like Chris Roglowski has a very unique burpee broad jump form. It's totally legal. It's, it, it's fine. It's just the way she does it looks different than everyone else. Like, I think it's like almost gotten too hyped up. You know what I mean? And they're going to have to do something. The rules state that you like, it doesn't say anything about that stagger step. Like as long as your feet don't move past your hands when it comes yeah. up, that's a good rep, but there's yeah. still, they don't want to see that stagger at all anymore. It seems yeah. like on the actual judging, but in the rule book, that's not what the rule is. And they do this stuff sometimes where the, it's a bit of a discrepancy between the rules and the, 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 the practice on, on the course. So I think that they, we might just see them say two foot, uh, jump up. Like you have to yeah. jump. Eventually I think that's what it's going to be because then you can't really fudge it. If you can get past your hands with your two feet, like that's going to, that would be really difficult and it would yeah. be co- really kind of too costly. So I think it's smart to kind of go back to two feet up. I, I think, think so. that's what it's going to be. I think it's just putting your, putting you ahead of the curve. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I've been practicing with step back, step back, jump up. So and- instead of like, um, conserve, like to conserve the energy, but not without the step up because I like the judges are, they're definitely all over me and my two races that I've done. They'd be like, 
do not yeah. stagger match those feet and it's kind of hard to match like to exactly match the feet to me i don't get why they're so caught up on that when that's like you said as long as your feet aren't in front of where your hands were then who it doesn't matter it's just hard to see it yeah it, it's you know? got that it's like if people aren't if people are staggering and their hands come up quick and like we right. can't really see like where that line was it's either that or they're just going to do like uh lateral burpees over a line or something like that which, which like, to be honest i think i would love that would so. be better i agree <laughs> i would like that better as well it's not as great of a visual appeal of like the actual race right but um but they still have the row and the ski it would make it there would be less space i think it's a better way to do it yeah but um but jumping but stepping back and jumping up because when you jump up you get a little bit of that elastic energy like when you hit you get a little bit of that free energy to move yourself forward. So I think it's a bit quicker. Interesting. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time. It's a little bit of a mind. Like, yeah. How do you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's something to play around with as well. Cool. I like that idea. But when it comes to training, just got to do them. You just got to do them. Just got to do them and it sucks. Yeah. (laughs) And that's why it's nice to have a program where it's like today and a, a, a place where I can put them where it's easy is just during aerobic work. It's like, I think 90 to a hundred burpees is kind of like the mile equivalent, depending on yeah. your pace. It, it'll be like five to six and a half minutes or something like that. Depending on yeah. how, you're, how you're rolling. So it's doing like 90 to a hundred burpees and then like run a mile. Yeah. And skiing. That sounds terrible. It's pretty, I mean, it's not great. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I'll let you roll. We'll come back with part two in a week or two uh, because this is fun. I think it's valuable to talk about this stuff. We had that program that we came with two different programs. One is a 12 week that is going to be accessible for athletes who really want to kind of reach that age group podium or who are going to be fighting for that top 10 on the elite side or even uh, like it's, it's a big enough and hard enough program that I think it can lead to elite podiums as well. And then there's a 16 week which is an ass kicker, which is yeah. a lot closer to what your typical training would be. Uh, not maybe, not maybe all of that volume, but it's, it's pretty close to what it looks like for you. So if that, that, that's somebody, if you can afford a lot of time to train and your volumes are pretty high, like that's, that's the real deal of a program. Yeah, for sure. So there's links in the show notes for this. We'll also have them up in both of our profiles. Is it up in your profile? Yep. It's in my profile. Yeah. Sweet. And I'll have that up in mine as well. So what do you got next? Sweden? Sweden. Sweet. Are you going individual? No. Are you, oh, is this, is this an announcement? Are we, uh, we can. Oh, I have teamed up with my competitor, Mikaela Norman. Ooh. Her home country to uh, take on the women's doubles together. That's. And uh, we are. The- Win for gold, baby. We're going for a world record. So uh, I can't. What is the record currently? You know, I'm not positive. <laughs> Doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. Might as well be a fresh <laughs> blank slate. Now, we thought it was cool. She asked me in Chicago. I was really excited. She even wanted to. I had mentioned I was going to go to Stockholm and asking if, of course, she was going to be there. Um, and she was like, why don't we team up? And I think it's a cool like previous record holder, current record holder, like female empowerment, 
uh, competitors turning into teammates kind of kind of thing, you know, and I, I think that's I think it would be cool. So I like it. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Um, are you going to do Battle Bunker? I don't, we, we talked about it for like a second, yeah. but did you see those workouts? Yes, I feel like. I'm I'm really excited about it because it's uh well number one I haven't done like a full out mile and I'm a little I'm a little scared of it. I dude, me too. Is that is that like weird that I was like ooh I don't to bury yourself in a mile is that's be tough. And just like I did a mile for they did a mile for OCR stars uh, two years two or three years ago um, and. I needed like three or four cracks at it. Like I, cause to really like nail it. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's like nuanced. Um, yeah. I'm just going to do it once. And like, if it's whatever time yeah. it is, I'm going to be like, that's fine. It's just like a, a qualifier to get through. But those exactly. other two, those other two workouts, the three rep strict press and three rep back squat, you're going to murder. And that last one, 30, 20, 10 dumbbell thrusters and burpee over dumbbells. is like something you would write. Yeah. It, no, it really, it's ironic because we just did some thrusters last night and I think I used, I went like a little conservative and used like thirties and I was like, this is too easy. So like 35, I think they chose appropriate weights. You know, I, I think, I think overall it's like, it's a cool test. It kind of gives people of all different like skill levels. You kind of literally have like the run, obviously, then you have like the more true like strength oriented portion with the strict press and the three RM back squat. And then you have kind of more like the CrossFit-y squat mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like has all three pieces that we'd kind of want to see. Yeah. I so, like it. Me too. It'll be fun. All right. We'll chat about it. All okay. right. Cool, Meg. Thanks for joining Bye. me today. Thanks.